Welcome to The Kingstonian, a podcast that profiles individuals who are passionate about what they do for a living, about what organization they belong to, or simply passionate about the community they are a part of. Hello there and welcome. My name is Dave Cunningham. Canadians of all ages are looking for their political reps to develop and implement a plan to address this issue. On the program today, we speak with a Queen student who is passionate about the environment and is part of a group supporting action. Our guest is Kate McKenzie. Kate, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. You are a member of a club on campus called Queen's Backing Action on Climate Change, correct? Yes, QBAC for short. We are going to talk about the club in a bit. I wanted to talk first about how you got involved in taking action against climate change. What prompted you to get involved in this sort of thing? A couple things. Um, Sort of on the news and everywhere, we're seeing how conditions of climate change are getting worse and people are being negatively affected around the world. And usually you can attend strikes, you can sign petitions, but you don't really feel like you made a proper change. So by joining QBAC, I felt like I could represent the voice of people who can't speak and also just do my part to affect, like to try and stop climate change from happening or at least enact policies that could prevent it from happening. So just being able and having that club accessible to me is really great. And it's great that Queens has facilitated that. Less great that they haven't divested, but we'll get there. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that I've noticed in, in this current election campaign, and we are talking about two weeks away from Election Day here in Canada. And one of the things I've noticed is that there is much more talk about climate change and there is the sense that more people are concerned about it and trying to find ways they can get the government they want to put in power to do something about climate change. The thing that you mentioned before was that you're an individual not feeling very powerful and being able to do something. And I think that's something a lot of people feel. Yeah, and it's something that um, politicians can use, either in a positive or negative sense. Because people generally want to have a, like be a part of the action that's happening, um, politicians can use that and say, all right, well, I'll get behind you and let's make action happen. What's happening now is that because most people do believe that climate change is man-made and we are contributing to the sixth mass extinction, um, All politicians have their own climate change agenda. So now it's just trying to figure out, okay, well, which one's best? And that's where a lot of education needs to come in and people need to inform themselves about which one is the best plan of action. Because banning plastic straws, while it's a great first step, is only like 0.02% of the mass waste that we collect. It's not the last thing that people have to do. Yeah. One of the things about getting information is by listening to or getting involved with the club that you belong to. I'll just throw out the full name again. So Queen's Backing Action Against Climate Change, but from here on we'll call it... Quebec, yeah. Quebec, okay. Not Quebec, Quebec. <laughs> All right, so uh, this is an organization that began when? This began about eight years ago, and so we've been on campus ever since. However, in the past two years, we've really become more noticed on campus. So we had a strike last year on March 17th, which really is the first time a lot of people heard about QBAC for the first time. 
and it was hugely successful. We had about 800 students show their support, and we marched, and we were able to get that first message of to get Queens to divest out of fossil fuels put forward. And that contributed to the great success that we had on the march of September 27th, which we had estimated over 1,500 students and faculty show up, and even professors brought their children with them. So we had really a huge age range, which was really great to see. Now, when you talk about a strike, you're just talking about people leaving what they would normally do and joining together to demonstrate about this particular cause. Yeah, the reason why we use terms like strike and rally was because a lot of students were leaving class to go attend to this. And class is obviously, um, it's really important to our education. But if we do not have an environment in which we can breathe freely, then what's the point of grabbing an education? So that was the try to point we were trying to convey. Mm-hmm. Now, the organization as it stands right now is primarily students? Yes, it's primarily students, but it does have the support of over, I believe it's 17 faculties. Okay, how, uh, how many members would you have in the organization? For the executive members, we have about 20 members. Um, so these will be people organizing special projects or people helping with the divestment campaign. But in our general members group, we have around, I believe, 400 members. Um, I believe it's over 400 right now. But the reason why we have so many general members is because people want to get involved, like we talked about earlier. But we also don't hold weekly meetings. We sort of advertise ourselves as an action-based group. So we post opportunities, volunteer opportunities, ways in which people can get involved and People sign up because they want to help, and they just don't know how, and so we give them ways in which they can. So you put your notices up on your Facebook page, and then people look and see what they want to get involved with, and that's how they get involved. What sorts of things are you doing right now? So right now, um, we're always actively working on the divestment campaign. So if you're on a Queen's Club or if you are part of a faculty and you want to talk to your profs about getting involved, um, there are different campaigns in which you can sign and they're on our website. Uh, But also with the federal election coming up, we have a voter registration booth set up. So this is in the ARC or the Queen's Center on campus. And basically, we're not trying to give our opinions on any of the different candidates. We're just trying to get young voters registered. And we have hundreds of people come up to us every day just going, I'm not really sure if I'm registered. I don't know how to vote. How do I vote while I'm at school for my home writing? And that's just information they don't have because it's not been given to them. So that's what that booth is for. And we've been set up around, we've been set up usually five days a week, just answering questions and getting people registered. Now, as I understand it, millennials form the biggest voting block in this election. Yes. True? Currently, yeah. Now, just for an old guy like me, the <laughs> definition of a millennial is what? Age-wise. So, well, it's mildly contested, actually. <laughs> Keeps um, changing. So I am I'm only 20 years old, so technically I'm not a millennial. I would be in part of Generation Z. So it's all very complicated. (laughs) But as I know, um, the last year for millennials would be uh, 1996 or 1995. And then anything afterwards would be Generation Z. But in mainstream media, when we say millennials, we generally group anyone under about 27 under to be millennials. 
So that's why we might be the largest voting range. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you're doing something else uh, during this particular fall that I find really interesting, and it's what? So this is homecoming. Right. So a lot of students and even Kingston, the public citizens, um, homecoming, we create a lot of just garbage on the streets, especially Aberdeen students. There are no trashes set up, so students don't know where to throw their bottles and they're intoxicated. So it just goes everywhere. And it's awful. Like the day after there's trash everywhere. Everyone sees the photos of dogs who have their paws all cut up because glass bottles are just being smashed. So what we're doing is we're putting a theory to the test. The theory states that if an environment is clean and in order, then you are less likely to mess it up. But if environment's already dirty and trashy, then you're not going to sort of worry about throwing your bottles everywhere. So the day before homecoming, we have a lot of general members and some of our exec members getting together to clean up Aberdeen, to set up different bins where people can recycle their bottles or recycle their cans, and to make sure that they're accessible to everyone. And then we're going to have some volunteers throughout the day on homecoming, making sure people know where the bins are and making sure they stay upright and not kicked over. And then the day after homecoming, we're going to see if it worked. We're going to see if cleaning up the street of Aberdeen had any effect on how students behaved. And if it didn't, then we've got a bunch of volunteers who are willing to help us clean that back up again. So Mm -hmm. we return the environment to how it's supposed to be, which is not trash everywhere. I think that's a great idea. We'll see if it works. really excited for it. Yeah, let's hope the theory works out. You've mentioned a couple of times, and I think we should spend a couple of minutes talking about this so that people understand. Uh, One of the goals you have is to get the university to divest itself of some of the companies they may have in their investment portfolio, correct? Yes. Explain that a little bit. What does that mean? So what we're basically trying to do is get the Queen's University to stop its investments in fossil fuel companies. And the reason why we're doing this is not only ecological, but also economic. Because I believe it was um, one of the stock exchanges that labeled like oil and coal as non-renewable sources of energy now. And that's huge. And because it's not long-lasting anymore. These are not investments that can keep us going for very long. And while those investments have made Queen's what it is today... We have to change. We have to be able to adapt because if we don't, we're going to go down a very dark path. And one of the speakers at our strike basically said, we're going to have to explain why we didn't divest. And it's going to be a huge dark point in Queen's history if we don't divest now. Mm -hmm. And so we see it as making economic sense and we see it as making ecological sense to basically take action. Now is the time to divest fossil fuels. And if we don't do it now, it's going to be too late very soon. Now, there are other uh, organizations, companies, universities that are being requested to do the same sort of thing or have already done that, correct? Mm -hmm. So it's not just something that's restricted to Queens. There are campaigns that are out there all over the world uh, looking to get uh, big corporations to divest themselves of fossil fuel companies or other companies that are not helpful to the environment, correct? Yeah, this is a huge movement. We are only one part of this huge machine that is trying to get um, divestment from fossil fuels. And I think the really important part is not just making that statement. So sure, if you make the statement to divest, that's perfect. But then we need public groups and groups like QBAC to reinforce that and to make sure that they hold up their word, hold up your end of the bargain. If you say you're going to divest, okay, let's see it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the climate strike and the fact that uh, there was a very major one 
end of September? September 27th. Okay. Yep. September 27th. Uh, it was. It seemed to be prompted, or there was a, a de facto leader of this particular <laughs> strike, and her name is Greta Thunberg. Yes. And she is the young lady that sailed from, I don't think she sailed from Sweden, but she is from Sweden, and she sailed across the Atlantic with her father and a couple of other people just to profile the fact that airlines use a lot of fuel and create a lot of negative carbon stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk a little bit about her. Do you know much about her, how she became, I hate to use the word poster child, (laughs) but the the person that most people tend to gravitate to when they talk about the climate strike? I, of her personal life and how she got to where she is, I'm not super sure. I know she does have the support of her parents, which I think is great. Um, But I feel like the reason why she's become the quote-unquote poster child or the symbol for student movements is because she's a student herself or she was she's taken a year off school now to pursue this climate action but usually when young adults or even teenagers they just feel like they don't have the power to make change whereas usually in revolutions of any size it's the young people who say well we're not going to stand for this when Mm -hmm. it's our generation where we can't stand for this anymore so she's sort of been like the leader of all of us because it doesn't her age is not associated with naivete it's she is a beacon for all of us to sort of follow and people have verged on their own paths from that and it's all towards climate action but she's shown that you have power as a young adult you have power as a teenager and you have power as a even under teenage years you have power even though you can't vote Mm-hmm. Like she's, she wouldn't even be able to vote in Canada, but even though she's making such huge changes across the world. Now, as I understand it, she started demonstrating in her home country just herself with a sign uh, sitting in front. I forget what building she was sitting in front of. Maybe it was the government building. I'm not sure. But she she was sort of on her own doing her own thing for a the longest time and mm-hmm. and somehow she went from that to speaking at the United Nations or speaking to presidents and prime ministers all over the place. I'm, I'm just impressed about how all of that happened so quickly and so many people gravitated to that and um, I don't know how many millions, I don't know if anyone did a count as to how many young people demonstrated or uh, went out on that climate strike at the end of September because they were all over the world. Yeah, even in Kingston, we had, it was a week before, but there was also an estimated over a thousand people in the Kingston March as well. And I think it's because so many people care about climate action, but just don't know what to do. And now they've been, we've been told like, okay, perfect. This is what you can do. You can strike on these days. Talk to your government uh, officials. This is what you can do. And so I feel like that contributes to her huge success is because now more and more people are realizing that climate change is a man-made problem. And now we're offering solutions on how to fix it or how to minimize our impact on our Earth. Now, we generally agree that climate change is a man-made <laughs> issue. There are some people who don't, who believe that this is all natural, that the world, that nature is just evolving itself and, and man, man is not really contributing to this. Yeah. Um, do we have any kind of statistics that would suggest that uh, you know this many people believe that climate change is man-made versus the other? 
I'm sure we do. I'm I don't have any on me. However, I know that in different sort of census or in different surveys, people can be quite reserved about that because they do feel like they can be judged for not believing in climate change. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are judged if they don't believe in climate change. But I think the way to sort of combat that is just to start an open and sort of civil dialogue. And that's for both parties. So if a person does not believe in climate change, let's have a conversation. We've, especially since our last strike, there's been a lot of people coming to our group claiming that either climate change is engineered by a government to benefit them, or it's not a problem of people in the global north or developed countries. It's people in the global south, and it's their fault, and they should be they should be the solution. They should come up with a solution. Don't tax us. But both members need to be open to having a conversation because if we don't, then we just end up with people on different sides yelling at each other. And that division we've seen has not worked ever. So we need to have some sort of consensus and some open dialogue to educate. But I do believe that the mass proportion of the population believe that climate change is man-made. The number I heard was that 99% of the world scientists believe that it was man-made. Yeah. Something that I neglected to mention at the beginning of the program, and that's what you do with the club that you belong to. And you are, as I understand it, the person who disseminates information both ways. Basically, yeah. And so when uh, we were sitting down talking before we started recording, you were mentioning that on the Facebook page, you did have a lot of these comments from people who did not believe in climate change as being Mm man-made. And there was a dialogue that you were encouraging just in the effort to get more discussion out there, more civil discussion, Mm -hmm. so that one could uh, express one's views and perhaps be talked into believing that there is something that they can do about it. Yeah, and that was positive in some aspects and negative in others, because in some situations, we really just had people coming onto the page to call our supporters or anyone who believes in climate change stupid or idiots. And that's While we don't support that kind of language on our page um, or that kind of belittlement, we responded to them. We We don't delete any comments from our page because silencing one sort of perspective is not how that open conversation happens. Exactly. And so we responded to every comment and every concern that people had. And when people came up with facts of their own, because it's so easy to get information that supports your side, no matter what side it is, we re- responded with different resources and different peer-reviewed resources that we could say, while I understand you believe that because this website says this, here is a report from the UN that has several scientists mm-hmm. backing it that says, no, coal is not a renewable resource. It's a non-renewable resource because of A, B, and C. Right. Let's talk a little more generally about the thought that a lot of people have that if I start to do something, it's not going to have much of an impact because no one else is doing it. That is a popular school of thought. Um, And it also does come up a lot more during voting season when a lot of any generation will say, well, I'm not going to vote because my vote doesn't matter. I'm just one person. I can't enact real change. And the reason why we're trying to combat against that is because your voice does matter. And if if you won't voice up, then people around you won't. And then it's just the cycle effect of no change happening. If Greta Thunberg didn't step up and she didn't have a lot of success for a lot of years, but if she didn't start that ball moving, then she wouldn't become 
this huge movement that it has become today where it has had success. And so what at least I believe is that no matter what your situation is, depending on age, sex, orientation, disposable income, no matter what it is, you can do something. Um, It can be as small as a reusable water bottle that you only have one of and you only use that for drinking water. And it can be as big as trying to get trying to run for office in your local community Mm -hmm. so there's a whole range of what you can do but i believe everyone can do something and that's probably something worth underscoring a little bit here too is that any kind of change you might want to affect is dependent upon your personal situation Mm -hmm. how much money you make whether or not you can afford to buy that electric car but like you say any little bit has an impact eventually just do anything anything that you can because that'll change for different people. Now, we've had a lot of uh, coverage in the media about the climate strike bringing climate change front and center in a lot of different ways. We have groups like yours who are requesting things that are not easily accomplished. What's it going to take to affect that sea change that we need to see to save the environment? Is it going to take uh, going to the ballot box? Is it going to take more demonstrations or economic pressure or all of the above? That would be the option I'd go for. (laughs) Um, When there's a large focus on one thing as the, the solution to everything, then it can be split and turned into a lot of different perspectives. Um, a popular school of thought is that technology is the way forward, that is the thing that's going to save us, that is the way to go. And we've seen a lot of problems with that. Um, Technology not being accessible for all, or technology creating a lot of waste to produce, and then once it's produced, it's great, but it still made all this waste. So I do think that, please vote, by the way, that's number one, that is the first thing to do, because it's the smallest thing you can do. That doesn't doesn't matter on your income any of those variables we talked about earlier you can vote and that's really important in enacting policy change and then from there it's demonstrating and making sure that the promises that these candidates offer or the promises that these candidates made are enacted like if you want to ban microplastics okay do it i would also focus on canadian mining companies outside of canada but if you're going to do something and you vote based on what they said hold them accountable so that's where the demonstrating comes in and the economic factor kind of seems simple to me you're going to lose money if you invest in these companies so divest now and cut your losses one of the things that i personally think we should stress a little more too is you often hear talk about well if i have to deal with making a change to my big company because of climate change and because of the stuff i may be spewing into the air or into the water it's going to create losses of jobs and that impacts the the political view if you will Mm. the small p view on all of these changes and i don't think there is enough stress on the fact that introducing all new kinds of ways of energy for instance creates new jobs Mm -hmm. and perhaps better paying jobs than people have now but there's not enough talk about that side of the equation in my humble opinion and it's it's a fair fear that people have especially out in alberta is people are worried about their jobs and that's fair um so that's why we need to focus on job transition programs as well because 
the goal of people who are trying to enact climate change is not to have people out of jobs. It's to transition them into clean jobs, into green jobs. And also, companies that operate in Canada, um, in the fossil fuel industry, are going to start to look to technology to replace people as well. Um, they're going to start to look for self-driving cars and trucks to make it more efficient. So people in that sector are going to lose their jobs. And so if we set up these training programs, and if that can be implemented by our acting government, then we can get that transition happening, and we can ha- make sure people are not jobless, because that's not the goal for anyone. Mm-hmm. Okay. We've run out of time. <laughs> and I thank you very much for dropping by and sharing your passion for backing people who want to affect some form of climate change and getting involved yourself, and all the best to you. Well, thank you for having me, and if you are not registered to vote, come by the Queen Centre. We're there from Tuesday to Saturday. (laughs) All righty. Thanks very much, Kate. Thank you. Theme music for the program is Stasis Oasis, a tune written and performed by Kingston musician Tim Aylesworth. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions about any of our episodes, please send a note to the Kingstonian Podcast Facebook page. This is Dave Cunningham from Kingston, Ontario. Thank you for listening. Until next time.